Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 this morning. This is the word of God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace through God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we look at his word this morning. Father God, again, we come before you. Lord, I'm expecting to hear from you. So we, we ask that you'll give us ears to hear today and grant me the ability to declare this your glorious truth to your redeemed people and to give eyes of faith this day to those who cannot see. Cause them to believe, we pray, for the glory of the name above all names, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Martin Luther said at one point in his ministry that every week I preach justification by faith because every week we forget. Augustus Toplady once said to a group of pastors, you may not be familiar with that name, Augusta, top, top Lady, but you have sung his songs. Rock of Ages is one of them. Augustus Top Lady once said to a group of pastors, preach Christ crucified and dwell chiefly on the blessings resulting from his righteousness, atonement, and intercession. End of quote. Um, that is what I want us to do today. As we approach um, a new year, um, I want us to recognize with clarity and live in the good of what Jesus has done for us as our Redeemer. To live gospel-grounded lives that joyfully treasure the gospel of grace. The title of the message is Treasuring the Gospel. And we'll look this morning at Romans 5, verses 1 through 5, from where Mark just read. Now, we see the, that emphasis here in this passage, Paul writing this epistle to the church in Rome, as he dwells in concentrated form on the benefits that come to the Christian. And you'll notice a couple repeated phrases in the text. We have, we have, we have. Talking about what we have because of what Christ did. Another phrase, um, we rejoice. Not only do we have it, we rejoice in it. And what is it that we rejoice in? The fact that we have been justified by faith. To be reminded of that and to know what that means will unfold this morning. But uh, before we begin, last Sunday, as well as Christmas Eve, 
We focused on what God has done for us in sending his son. Isaiah the prophet foretold 700 years before Christ's birth that the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear his son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. 700 years later, an angel appeared to Joseph, who was betrothed to one Mary. He said this, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Do not be afraid. Why? Because she was pregnant, and he never laid a hand on her. They were engaged. The child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This, the scripture said, all took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. God, coming out of glory, condescending to take on human flesh, living a sinless life on behalf of his people, and then dying on their behalf, crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. All of which, by the way, was in accord to the preordained plan of God, he would be delivered up, that is, handed over according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He was raised from the grave, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Through his life, death, and resurrection... God who is just, he is just, takes his righteousness and brings it through Jesus to unrighteous people and thereby justifies them. Bringing them into alignment with the very righteousness of God. God laid on Jesus all the sins that we have performed in thought, word, and deed, and punished him, crushed him on a Roman cross, and laid on us all the righteousness that Jesus performed, freeing us from the punishment that is due. That's the great exchange. Jesus takes our sin, he takes our guilt, though he did not do it, he never sinned. And we receive his righteousness, though we never did it. And as a result, by way of faith, that unites us to God in Christ, according to his grace, we stand before almighty God, forgiven of all our sins, past, present, and future. In Christ, with a foreign righteousness imputed to us, that is the very righteousness of Jesus, who is the Christ, the one and only son of God. You do not perform for it. 
You cannot earn it. You don't work for it. You can't pay for it, nor do you suffer for it. You must receive it. You receive it by faith. It is a gift of free grace that must be received by faith, which means that our standing, that is every Christian's standing before Almighty God every day is based not on your performance, but on the very righteousness of Jesus Christ himself, given as a gift by way of God's grace alone. You understand that? Now, the assurance of our standing with God is grounded solely on his righteousness, not ours. Your standing and your assurance of that standing, your confident trust is in his righteousness, not yours. Every day, day by day, you stand positionally righteous in Christ alone. You stand Justified. Because you're sinless? No, because of his righteousness. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. You are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Atonement has been made. Life is in the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The Old Testament sacrificial system pointed forward to the one and only Lamb of God who would come and shed his blood for all who have ever, Abraham, or will ever, you, believe. That's the gospel. Your faith in Christ alone, you are justified. You are loved. You are blessed. You are accepted, not by way of your performance, but by way of his alone. Now, this morning, we want to look at some benefits of being justified by faith. So let's look together at Romans 5 beginning in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as you read the scriptures, there are certain words that pop up as you read along that we must take careful notice of, and the word therefore is one of those words. We ask, what is the therefore therefore? Well, the therefore is a word that signals for us that a conclusion has come. A conclusion has come calling attention to the premise or argument that has been developed up to this point. So that brings us to the decisive point of conclusion. And that is Paul's argument thus far, Romans 1, 2, 3, and 4, here now into chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, Romans 5 is the effect of the last word in chapter 4. Look at it. Justification. Justification. Move back a little bit. Verse 22, chapter 4. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Context, he's talking about Abraham, about whom I read in Genesis chapter 15. Therefore, it was accredited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also. To whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who was, who was raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. 
The fact that saved sinners are justified apart from works, apart from ritual, apart from the law, justified apart from deeds, creeds, sessions, or concessions, declared free from all blame. That's what justification means. You are declared free from all blame on the basis of what Christ has done alone. Don't ever forget that. Martin Luther, why do you preach justification by faith alone every week? Because my people forget it every week. That's what he said, actually. So, verse 1, having been justified by faith, that is the fountain of God's grace, provides the stream of peace. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So, what is this peace with God that Paul is speaking about here in chapter 5. Well, before we consider what it is, I want us to first consider what it is not. Okay? So first, some negatives. Because there are many people who feel, they, they feel within themselves a certain peace in their conscience towards some abstract God they've created in their own mind, and yet they are en route to hell. They claim, me and the big man upstairs, we're on good terms. Everything's cool in my camp. That, my friends, is the peace of self-deception. The peace of self-deception. There's no thought of their sin, no remorse over their sin, no burden on their mind or heart, no guilt, no shame, no desperate sense of need for God. I say who God is, and I have peace with him. They are self-deceived. That is false peace. There's another kind of peace that people pursue, they go after, and that is the peace of escapism. The peace of escapism, escaping into activity, escaping into amusement, constantly, continually amusing themselves so they're not forced to think about their condition. They try to drown out the silence. That's what amusement is. It means without thinking. A, without, muse to think, without thinking, amuse me so I don't have to think. I can't stand the silence. Because when it's silent, I must consider my state before my, my, my creator. And I don't want to do that. I need peace. The attention of their heart has been diverted. They don't, want, they don't want to be forced to think about a holy creator. They might run to recreational drugs, you know, trying to numb themselves with regard to awareness of the God with whom they have to do. That's another false sense of peace. There are religious people. The world is full of religious people en route to hell who try to gain peace by merely attending religious services for all the wrong reasons. Perhaps they like the songs. Perhaps they enjoy the liturgy, the, the coffee, <laughs> the fellowship, business opportunities. Whatever the reason, it's a false sense of peace. It's a religious 
peace. Others may give themselves to philanthropy, condemned by their own self-righteousness, thinking within themselves, I'm a good person, and I can stand before God on my own merit. That's self-righteousness. Self-righteousness condemns. It's false sense of peace. None of those things can possibly grant peace with God, let alone the peace of God. Jesus actually said all those things, all those activities are the broad road, and that broad road leads to destruction, and many go that way. Many go that way. The peace that Paul is referring to here in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, has to do with acceptance. Acceptance. You know, John chapter 3, verse 18, says that whoever does not believe, that is, whoever does not trust in the only begotten Son of God, is already condemned. Why? Because he's the one God sent to be condemned in the place of sinners. Who believe. So the basis for Christian peace comes solely from the fact that we are justified by faith in Christ alone. It means the war is over. Enmity has come to an end. We are no longer enemies of God. Justified by faith. Now you see from the outset of the book of Romans, coming to this glorious conclusion in chapter 5, the, the therefore of those who are justified by faith. Paul has been after this since chapter 1, defining for us God's wrath that is due to his creatures. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth of God. They know it. They try to hold it down in their unrighteousness. Romans 2 verse 5. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. Chapter 2 verse 8. For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Therefore, the state of men in this condition, Romans chapter 3 says, verse 10, it confirms there are, there are none that are righteous. No one who does good, no one seeks the Lord. That is the rebellion for which scripture describes for all mankind left to ourselves. Doom, judgment, wrath. Now let me say this. When the Bible speaks about God's wrath, it's not talking about some hot-tempered outburst. It's talking about God's right and robust opposition to our dishonoring him as God that is an accurate and strong opposition for our belittling of him, our suppressing truth about him, our disregarding him, that is, those made by him and for him. You're made by God for God. 
And left to ourselves, we suppress that truth, we disregard him, we mock him, we intend or we try to run from him. Refuse to acknowledge the glory that is due to him. Everything within us, everything within us refuses to acknowledge this truth about God. Why? Because in and of ourselves, we think that God is just forgiving or God is just merciful or God is just sympathetic. Now, he is all those things for those who come to faith, those who seek his mercy and come to him by way of his grace. They repent of their rebellion, but far too many people think that's all he is, just merciful. So here, God's righteous judgment, we read, increases day by day for those who maintain their rebellion against Almighty God, who do not humble themselves, who do not come to him saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Have mercy. And grace is poured out. Left to ourselves, we remain under his wrath. And scripture is clear that there is a fixed and fast approaching day where God's judgment will be poured out. And there's not a more terrifying event scheduled in history anywhere than that day. Question, how will you do on that day? Are you in Christ or not? Now, for all who have been justified by faith through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, there will instead of wrath on that day, there will be safety. No fear, but absolute safety. And only for those who've been justified by faith in this one whose blood was shed. Safety. Look at verse 9, Romans 5. Much more then. Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him, Christ. His holy justice and wrath, in other words, God's holy justice and wrath has been quenched, fully absolved. Propitiation has been made. God's wrath has been satisfied in his son. Amen. Let someone's awake. Which means peace, peace with God is not merely a feeling. It's a status. It's a position between God and the believer. You are as justified as you ever will be this morning, Christian. As justified as you ever will be. You can't be more justified than you are at this very moment through faith and trust in Christ alone. Declared free of all blame. So verse 1 then describes this peace as objective, not merely subjective. It's a fact. Well, I don't always feel it. Well, make sure you know it. That's why I'm reminding you of it as we approach a new year. Because you don't always feel it. Because we fail. It's an unchanging position for all who are in Christ. That's one benefit. Peace with God. Peace with God. Another benefit or gift of our salvation is access, that is direct access 
or as the text says, direct introduction to God. Verse 2, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand. Even in this present age, notice Paul speaks in the present tense. He says, through him we have obtained. Through him, that is through Christ, having obtained access means you've been ushered into the presence of royalty. You have direct access to God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the grace in which we stand. By faith in Christ, by way of his redemptive work, you have been given access. You think about the old covenant. It was only the high priest on behalf of the people who would enter into the presence of God, the holy of holies in the tabernacle, in the temple, on behalf of the people of Israel, representing the people to God and representing God to the people. Christ has come. He's the great high priest. The middle wall of separation has been torn down, Ephesians tells us. The curtain that divided the holy place from the holy, holy of holies was ripped from the top to the bottom. Direct access now provided for all those who are in Christ. You can boldly go before the throne of grace because of Jesus Christ who never lives to make what for us? Intercession. Intercession is mediation. Mediation is representation. You represent, you are represented before God. You're no longer presented in the first Adam, a sinner. You're represented before God in the second Adam, Jesus. He ever lives to intercede, to represent, to mediate for you. Therefore, your position is unchanging. You are justified. You have peace with God and therefore have access to God. You don't need a priest in your place. You don't need an earthly mediator. You don't need a pastor in your place. You go directly to God. You have access to holy God through the finished work of the one who is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, Jesus, son of God. You boldly usher, do you boldly usher yourself in to the presence of God by way of the mediatorial work of Jesus? Be not afraid. But you don't know what I did yesterday. Run to him. Fast. You sin in your mind? Run to him. You sin with your hands? Run to him. Repent and run to him boldly. You have access to God, justified. You're justified before God. You know, twice in the book of Ephesians, Paul remind, reminds us of our divine right into the presence of God. Look at it, Ephesians 2, verse 18. For through him, Christ, we have access in one spirit to the Father. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. In Christ, we have boldness, boldness, and access with confidence through our faith in him, Christ. So that's in the here and now. This is pre-glory as we dwell here on this land, still in these sinful bodies. We struggle with sin, as I've said before. You never struggle with sin until you're saved. Who struggles with sin before you come to faith in Jesus Christ? Nobody. 
the struggle commences upon the new birth. Your position is unchanging. You're justified by faith, what? Alone. In Christ alone. So notice the sequence of blessings. The first deals with our past. Peace with God, past pardoned through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Our past is pardoned. That's the first blessing. The second blessing deals with the present. That is this grace in which we stand. Now, unfortunately, some Christians think that you receive Christ by faith, all your sins are forgiven, and the rest of your life is, is work in order to maintain his favor. Is that true or untrue? It's untrue. This is the grace in which we stand. So having peace with God, that's your justification. The grace in which we stand, that's your sanctification. And in a moment, we're going to see our future glorification, all because we're justified by faith in Christ alone. So we see this present aspect of our salvation and its eternality. Right now, you're an eternal child of God, justified in Christ alone. He will preserve you to the end. That's why you'll persevere to the end, because he preserves you to the end. And as we stand, it's proven not to God, but to us that we truly are his. You believed last year, you believe this year. That's proving ground that you are in fact his. John Calvin said it like this, Perseverance is not founded on our power and diligence, but on Christ. If he calls you, he keeps you to the end. He keeps you. You don't keep yourself. No one snatches them out of my hand, Jesus said. Well, I can step out of his hand, not if you're his. See, if you walk away, you what? You never were. If you're an apostate, if you apostatize and deny Jesus Christ is the only way, newsflash, you never were saved in the first place. They went out from us because they were not of us, for had they been with us, of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out from us proving they were never of us. He will keep you. This leads us to the third implication of our justification at the end of verse 2. The third blessing, notice is our guaranteed future. And we rejoice. So we've already read what we have. We have, we have, we have. And now we exult. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So justification means peace with God. Justification means present communion with God. And justification means a certain and secured hope of future that is, future glorification with God. Peace with God, communion with God, and a guaranteed presence, your guaranteed presence with God, that is, you will be glorified. Glory. That's why I say glory all the time. Glory, this hopeful expectation. Verse 2, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. You will share in his glory, you will be glorified because you're justified. In fact, that final goal of our salvation, quoting from Romans 9, notice, 
is to make known the riches of his glory upon his people, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. He's already prepared it. Christ has entered in. He guarantees you a place. You are now presently members of the household of? Of faith. The household of God, the household of faith. See, we've fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Christ, being in Christ, he has brought us in alignment with God. So we therefore hope in the glory of God. We do not need to fear it because you are justified. Look at 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 14. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory, gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he called you, to gain the glory through Christ. So all of this we have, having been justified, we have peace with God, we have the hope of glory. In this, the text says, we exult, we rejoice. And by the way, hope, it's not hope and hope. Hope means confident trust. Hope is the desire for something to happen. Faith is confidence that it will. R.C. Sproul in his commentary, Romans, said this, quote, hope is not taking a deep breath and hoping things are going to turn out all right. It is assurance that God is going to do what he says he will do. And he will glorify you fact. So we need not fear one day that we're going to wake up and our hope was not real. We do not need to fear that one day we're going to, it's going to be made manifest that, oh, what an embarrassment. You know, there were many roads to God. No. Rejoice in it now. Rejoice in this fact now. Rejoice in this truth now, knowing that you will rejoice in it then. And all those who mock Christ now, and those who mock you, those who mock Christianity, they think it's a joke. On that day, the joke will be on them. And it's no joke. It's no joke. Do not be deceived, the scripture says. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Let God be true, and every man a liar. Rejoice now. This isn't some silly fairy tale. This is the revelation of God through Jesus Christ, his son. You are as good as glorified already. That's what I read in Romans this morning. Because you're justified, you're as good as glorified. But I still struggle. No, but yes, you do. But it's the grace in which we what? Stand. Past, present, future aspects of your salvation all wrapped up in, well, so far, three verses of Romans 5. So this is the foundation of peace upon which we stand. His righteousness is your righteousness. The righteousness of Christ is your righteousness. This is the truth of justification by faith in Christ alone. This is what keeps our hearts and minds right. Amen? There's an old movie with a famous line. You need to get your mind right. Get your mind right every day by way of gospel truth. This is the peace you wake with. 
You, awake, you are awakened every morning with the peace, with the fact that you're justified. You go to bed at night knowing you're justified. You're in the midst of trouble, know that you're justified. Times of trial, know that you're justified. Declared free from all blame through the finished work of Jesus Christ. You doubt your salvation, run back to the cross, look to the living Christ and know that you're justified. Declared free from all blame and move on. In the consummation of a new heaven and new earth will be the full realization of a justification because you'll have a glorified body just like your master, just like your Lord. This life is a vapor. It's short. Okay, now, on account of this hope, on account of this glorious hope, we can also then rejoice, that is exult, in our sufferings, verses 3 and 4. This is where the rubber meets the road for this grace in which we stand. Verse 3, and not only this, the, the past, present, and future aspects of salvation, not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, and proven character, even a greater hope. Friends, suffering will happen in our lives. Do not let suffering throw you. In this life, you will suffer, so don't be thrown by suffering. It's guaranteed. Don't think of it as something strange happening to you. It has a purpose. It actually tests our faith. Suffering actually tests our faith. Loss of health, strained relationships, broken relationships, opposition from people, your own loved ones. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace to the world, but a sword, right, to divide a father from a son and a mother from a daughter-in-law and so on. That kind of opposition, the most stressful kind of opposition. Anything that tests your faith with regard to the goodness, the power, and wisdom of God, it will happen. It will test your confident trust in God as being good, powerful, and wise. You ever been tested to doubt God? Of course you have. So as we live in the present, looking with hope to our future redemption, we're, we're going to be faced with trials. You know, it's interesting that these are the very things that bring about proven character. That word proven character has to do with just that, provenness, that your faith is real. You're tested as a justified person. As you live in the here and now, this grace in which we stand, you're tested, and through the testing, you're being purified, and it proves that you are his. And it's not proving that you're his that is proving it to God, it's proving it to who? Proving it to you. Such was the case with Job. Job. Satan's hope for us is the same as it was for Job. Just curse God and what? Die. Curse God and die. You can't trust God. 
You know, not even God is worth this trial. That's the temptation. This pain, this loss. But look at what Job said. Job 19.25. I know, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Scholars believe that Job was a contemporary of Abraham, which means he lived 2,000 years before Christ came. Did you read those words? Notice, let's look at them again. I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at the last day on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see my God. That is, he understood glorification. And we've been given so much revelation through the finished work of our Redeemer. So although he suffered, he was physically and emotionally wounded. He wondered why. He wondered how. Lord, it would have been better had I not even been born, he said. Remember that? It would have been better that the knees of my mother never would have received me. It would have been better that I was stillborn, for then I'd be in perfect peace. It was through the testing that revealed the genuineness of Job's faith, not to God, but to him. God doesn't learn. Amen? So the provenness of your faith is for you. It's for me. You know, Spurgeon said this. I don't don't know how many of you are still reading We gave you a gift last New Year's, and it was uh, Spurgeon's morning and evenings to read together as a church and then to pray for one another, and I know that all of you are still doing that. So you'll be familiar with our our, um, December 27th reading. He said this, (laughs) guilty, but justified. (laughs) I'm just kidding. He said this, December 27th. Do I love the Lord only when temporal comforts are received from his hands? If so, I'm a base hypocrite. He who follows Christ for gain or for merely money is a Judas. They who follow for loaves and fishes are children of the devil. But they who attend him out of love to himself are his own beloved ones. End of quote. Boy, Spurgeon could just lay it out there, couldn't he? (laughs) Love that brother. Can't wait to meet that brother. In glory. (laughs) Because I'm justified in Christ alone. Look, no one in their right mind gets excited about suffering, amen? You'd be a fool. Paul's not talking about rejoicing in, in the pains of suffering, The mere pain, you know, pain itself, it's that in the midst of it, we can exult knowing that God has a much greater plan than the here and now. And all things do work together for the good of those who love the Lord, those who are called by the Lord. They all work together for the good, though you may not see the good presently. And then what they produce in us, refinement. Impurities are removed. You heat up gold, 
the impurities rise to the top, you, you, you drag off the dross, right? You have pure, refined gold. That's the idea. Look at 1 Peter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, notice that, tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. No one ought to presume in God's goodness and grace. Never presume, but be ever thankful ever thankful for his goodness and grace. And when we're forever thankful for his goodness and grace, we will bear fruit of faith and repentance. Faith and repentance continually. Sorrow for sin. If you have any sorrow for sin, because we're, we're about ready to get to this next point, which will be very brief, God does not leave you alone to live this Christian life. You have the resident presence of the what spirit? The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit will convict us of our sin and drive us to the Holy One. So if you have any sorrow for sin whatsoever, not because you got caught for something, because you've sinned against God, any sorrow at all, in any love for Christ at all, that's fruit that you are His. Not everyone bears an equal amount of fruit, amen? Any sorrow of my sin towards my Lord and Savior and any amount of love for him in response to his love for me, it's reciprocal because we didn't love him first, he loved us first. That's a sign of faith. Not of unbelief. Verse five, and hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So if you're in Christ, you actually now at this point get to experience God's love for us. We understand the objective position of our peace with God. It's, a, it's an objective fact. Here, Paul moves on to something that is experiential, subjective. You actually experience the love of God for you by the resident presence of the Holy Spirit within you. Beautiful? The Holy Spirit. God's Spirit, God's love is poured out into you. He doesn't call you just to pull up your bootstraps and go live the Christian life now in your own strength. No, he enables you to do so because he loves you. He abides within you. And this is the love. It's a word that means, poured out here means to, to be poured out, and it continues to be poured out. His love for you never ends. Glorious gospel truth. And this is what motivates believers, the love of God, the love of the Holy Spirit within us. You see, this becomes the moral, moral principle by which we live. It's not a list of rules on the wall, amen? 
It's the love of God through Christ in us is our motivation for, for obedience. You don't earn favor. You have it all by way of your justification. Amen? His love doesn't change for you. He loves you. So application. Application. Quite simply, let's make it a point this coming new year to rehearse the gospel to yourselves. Rehearse the gospel. Realize and remember what you have right here in the text. Because of what God has done in and through Jesus Christ, you are at peace with God. And every day you stand in his grace and according to the text, you experience his love for you and guaranteed you will share in his glory. That's the text. That's the promise. You will never, ever taste the judgment of God because Jesus bore it on your behalf. And therefore, by way of his grace and your faith in him, you are justified. I've heard someone say it's justified as, is, is, um, it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's partly true, but you have sinned. You're justified in spite of yourselves by way of the grace of God and the merit of Jesus Christ alone. In the, on the day of coming judgment, all you will experience is safety and security in the righteous robes of Jesus Christ. You will not be crying out as unbelievers will for the rocks and mountains to fall on them because they do not want to face the wrath of God. They'd rather be crushed by mountains and rocks. You'll be cloaked in his protection, justified by faith in Christ alone. Amen? Unbeliever, if you're an unbeliever here today, or you're listening to this message and you're an unbeliever, when God's glory is revealed, it will be too late for all who have not trusted in Christ here. It will be too late for all who are not justified now. So today, you've heard the gospel. You've heard the good news. There's good news because there's bad news. The bad news is, is that because you're a sinner, God's wrath is upon you. Because you don't believe, you're already condemned. You can be removed from the category of condemnation and taken over to the category of no condemnation by calling on Christ to forgive you of your sins and call on him as who he is, Lord and Savior of all. And you will be saved from the judgment is due. Declared. Free from all blame, justified. Repent and believe, and you too shall be saved. All who believe may be saved, but only those who truly believe will be saved. Glory to God in the gospel for you this new year as it approaches. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord, for your gospel. Thank you for your grace, mercy. The peace granted to us through the finished work of Jesus who bore your wrath in our place, providing the peace that we so desperately need. Lord, bless this truth to the hearts of these, your people, and bring to life those who walked in spiritually dead, that they too would have eyes to see and hearts to believe. For Christ's sake, amen.